Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this time together as family. Lord, we thank you. Yeah. Lord, we thank you that we are found in Christ. We are found in you, but that we're formed in community. And Father, we just are just so good to be family. So good to be family. And Father, I just pray that you just uh, just, uh, anoint these words as I share them this morning, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk about what I consider one of the, probably, most exciting, outrageous, life-changing, history-altering thing that anyone can do. Sounds pretty good, eh? This thing is, is so powerful that it actually has the ability to change history. It makes the person who uses it actually more powerful than even President of the United States. It's that kind of power. Those who undertake, but those who undertake it, it requires patience. It requires perseverance, intentionality. Um, but oh man, the results that this life-changing, amazing thing can do. Anyone have any ideas what I could be talking about? What? I ignore you. What? Any? Yell it out. Prayer. Oh, come on. Prayer. Prayer. Now, as soon as I say, say that, I'm sure some of you are going, prayer? It sounded so good up until that was said. <laughs> and, but, you know, if I, if I went around this room right now, I know that every single one of you would say to me, yep, look, Latrine, I just know the power of prayer. I know how important it is. And most of you, probably all of you again, would be able to say, listen, I can tell you a time in my life when I prayed and something incredible happened, something that just had to be God because there was no way it could have happened, that there was a miracle. I think everyone would be able to testify that to us. But I think there would also be a number of us, and I'd actually have to include myself in this, who would say, you know, I know how important it is. I believe in it. I, I just, I know what it's all about. But you know what? I don't do it that well. To be honest, I actually kind of struggle and I find it pretty boring and pretty dull. And, and I know that, you know, I, I should be doing more, but, and I actually feel really guilty I don't. But I'm just not excited about prayer. And, and I think one of the things that the enemy does is that he, he so often wants us to look at our failure. And we often spend so much time beating ourselves up with what we should be doing that we really don't, don't get the power of what we are called to enjoy. You know, see, prayer is, is actually about relationship. <laughs> That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's actually about the deepest, most profound relationship. And see, all of us come here and we, we, we pray, I mean, we worship and we have this wonderful time and, and, and we do, we feel fantastic and you know, I mean, we get in the car and we're singing and, you know, the angels are in the seat next to us, and, except when someone cuts us off. <laughs> then I don't know who's next to us. But anyhow, that's another story. So, so the angels are with us and we're just celebrating. And we're, but then when it actually comes to praying, well, as I said, that's a bit of a different story. That's a different story. We, we kind of struggle with it. And look, I, I'm not here because I, I want to I make you feel guilty about it at all. As I say, I understand the struggle it can be. You know, man, I've got down on my knees and I have prayed and I have cried out to God and I have, and the prayers have got about that far above my head. And then they kind of sat there. You know what I mean? 
and I just don't feel it. So I understand it. But I know also how exciting prayer can be, how life-changing it can be. And over the next couple of weeks, I just want to share and talk about prayer. And what I hope I can do is I want to paint a picture of the beauty of prayer, the power of prayer, the excellency of prayer, the joy of prayer, the opportunities of prayer, and talk about some of the types of prayer. I want to, if I can, give you some helpful tools to help you develop in the art of prayer, because that's what it is. The art of prayer. And what I want to do this morning, rather than starting about my prayer life or our prayer life, I want to talk about our, well, our prayer life, but I want to talk about corporate prayer. And I want to start with that because I want to talk about something that we're going to do at the end of this month. But you see, you know, there is such a power of praying together, of the body coming together to pray. And there was this prayer meeting once, this one prayer meeting that, as I said, talk about changing history. This prayer meeting changed history. And it was a long prayer meeting. It actually took 10 days. So, I mean, yeah, that year, Wales right. <laughs> you know, I mean, most of us, well, I kind of honestly can struggle sometimes with 10 minutes. But 10 days, Wow. And these people came together because something they'd had an encounter with God and they were stirred and they wanted to go, through a, go for a breakthrough. And so I want to just start with talking about that this morning because once they got their breakthrough, history was never the same. You see, history is actually for those who pray. Do you know that? History is actually shaped by prayer, by the amount of prayer or the lack of prayer that happens. History is always shaped because people are praying or they're not praying. That's a reality. That's the awesomeness that we have. I mean, it just blows me away when I think about it that, you know, like, in a sense, our tongue and our hands are loaded. You know what I mean? I mean, we're dangerous. <laughs> Some of us probably here. Um, no, we're dangerous because of the authority and the power that God's given us. When you think about it, God says to us, when we lay hands on people, diseases are going to go. Have you ever thought about that? That's crazy wild. You put your hand, I mean, you know, look at, actually look at your hand. Isn't it? It's a nice, hopefully it's a washed hand, and it's nice and it's clean. Not too much dirt under the fingernails. And, you know. Anyhow, that's, that hand, that little thing, you know, that, you put it on someone and you go, be healed. And suddenly, cancer vanishes. Suddenly, a hand grows. Suddenly, something happens. Letha was talking yesterday about one meeting. He was at, was it 50,000? 45 or 50,000 people were healed in this one meeting. Imagine that. Imagine that. Just, and that was done by the word. He stood there and he said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And thousands upon thousands, and I'm not just talking about broken fingernails. I'm talking about creative miracles. I'm talking about sight being restored. I'm talking about deaf ears opening. And that's the power that you and I carry in our voice, in our hand. You know, we, we, we crave for significance and, and so often we spend our whole lives trying to be significant in jobs or with money or anything like that. You already are significant. 
because you are a son or daughter of God. And so you have all the authority of heaven behind you. All the authority of heaven. Do you realize you have no less authority than Jesus Christ did? You have no less authority than what Jesus Christ did. That's what he's calling us into. So we have power. And part of that power is what we do when we come and connect with God. And when we come and connect with God, it's, it's prayer. We've labeled it and we've given it a name. And therefore, we then it loses its effectiveness. But that's, it's actually just chatting to God. You know, and ch- God chatting back. You see, it's the crazy thing is that everybody in the world is okay when you say, I talk to God. What makes people uneasy is when, they, when you say God talks to you. you know? <laughs> uh, uh, well, we all talk to God. What, God talks to you? <laughs> it, that's a radical thing. But that's also what prayer's about. Prayer's not just firing a whole lot of things at the root, you know. Dear Jesus, I come to you today, I just pray for my children, my kids, my car, my work, my job, my thing. And, and, and just kind of tossing things up and thinking, God, I hope you catch one of them. Just one. <laughs> it's more than that. It's actually intimate communication. Learning the heart. You see, when we pray, we learn the heart of God. It's capturing the heartbeat of God for you, for your family, for your situation, for everything around you. That's how we position ourselves, to see, the, see heaven on earth. We are the point of contact. We are the lightning rod for heaven. And it begins by us spending time with God and learning his heart and praying into situations how he wants to. So this prayer meeting that altered history, it's recorded in Acts chapter 1. Or actually Acts chapter 1 into Acts chapter 2. So after being assembled together with them, he, this is Jesus, okay? So this is at the end. He's, he's, Jesus is now resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples. He's kind of messed their whole world up. And he's there then. He, says, he then says, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be now be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he takes off, he's gone. So he says to them, okay guys, hang around Jerusalem, because something good's coming. And then he goes back to the Father. So they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had ended, they went into an upper room where they were staying. There was Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Manu, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. I think that's really cool right there. Because, you know, it says in, when he was on earth, Jesus wasn't believed. His brothers, you know, they thought he was a little bit screwy and a bit weird, but they didn't really believe in him. Which, I mean, you know, you, I just think about you imagine it, if Jesus was your brother. Mum, it wasn't me that broke the cup, it was G. No, forget it, it was me. You know, <laughs> he's perfect, you know. Anyhow, that's just a thought, by the way. But, you know, it, it's, he didn't believe, they didn't believe in him. But here now, after the resurrection, they're now believing. And it says that in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that, that his, his family, he appeared, it's like he appeared specially to his own brothers and sisters, to just let them kind of invite them in, which I think is really cool. 
goes on. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of disciples, which now were about 120. And he talks about what they need to do, that they need a replacement for Judas. And so they vote and that goes on. And then it goes on. The story continues on a little bit later. Get into Acts chapter 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost was fully came, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there was came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a flame. And one sat on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to utter in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this prayer meeting started 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that because we know that the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. And the word Pentecost means 50. It was a celebration. It was 50 days. So we know when it fell, there had been a gap of from the time he was resurrected and raised to then there was 10 days. And that's why we know they were in the upper room for that long. And when they were there, it says they were of one accord. That means they, they got on with, okay, with each other. They agreed. And it's, they, they prayed. And it says they were there and they were one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, supplication means heartfelt prayer or, or passionately focused prayer. And, and petition they, is one of those prayers that you come up, you know, petitions is when you come up with an, an issue and you, and you hit it once and it moves and, and everything's done. But supplication, if you like, is more like where you um, have to come and really put some effort into it and really push it. It's, it's that place where you, there's, there's just something more required than just kind of a, a, a quick, easy prayer. You've got to get in there and you have to put something into it. You've got to, got to put some pressure into seeing it move. That's what happens when you're, when you're in supplication. And so here's this prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2 and it's full of supplication. They're going after something. This is not just some kind of Sunday morning, she'll be right kind of thing. This is determined prayer. They had seen Jesus. He'd appeared to them. He said, something's going to happen to you. And they said, right, we're going to get hold of that. We're going to get together and we're going to push into it. And so this, this prayer meeting starts. Acts 1.4 said, uh, Being assembled together with him, he commanded him not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. You know, and that word wait there is, is a different word. When we, get, when we get told wait, we kind of sort of sit there, okay. <sighs> you know, it's that, that kind of, of, it's a period of inactivity. It's like, you know, you've got to be kidding me. I, you know, I'm just meant to sit around and do nothing. But in the, in the kingdom, when it talks about wait, it's actually a time of violent, militant prayer. It's waiting. It's actually turning our energy towards God and drawing in and taking hold of something from him, pulling something into our lives, uh, uh, um, aligning ourselves with the heart of God, going after that thing, pushing in there. And so, you know, instead of just sitting around like the world do and do nothing, it's actually really going after it and, and believing. It's seeing it. It's a period of focus. So Jesus talks here and he says, you know, wait for the, for the promise of the Father. And so they're determined and they're focused. Well, what was the promise of the Father? What did that mean? You know, for them, see, sometimes we read back, and because we read back into the Bible, it's all so clear to us. But you think about it, for these guys, Jesus suddenly starts saying, I'll wait for the promise of the Father. What, what, what does that mean? What does it look like? And Jesus is going, don't worry about it, you'll know when it arrives, trust me. Because how do you explain that? Because you see, they had no idea what was about to happen. 
they had no, they actually thought that that Israel was going to be restored as a nation, that the that, that the um, the Romans were going to be blown out of Israel, that that you know they were going to, something was going to happen, that the kingship, if you like, of David was going to be restored. That was their limited. See, they had a limited box, and so that's where they were living. And then suddenly Jesus goes, which is totally not in their plans, and he suddenly starts talking about this thing of the Father's coming, and so really they are left in a sense devoid of leadership. Well, what do we do now? I don't know. And remember, at the same time, you have the, the Sanhedrin and, and all the Jewish leaders who are completely utterly ticked off because they lost a body. And rumors are starting to wander the city that this guy's risen. So they're in complete foul mood with the disciples. So these guys are terrified. Man, they are terrified. And Jesus says, wait. Uh, <laughs> how long? Where? Um, have you heard these guys don't like us anymore, Jesus? Don't worry. The promise of the Father's coming. Terrific. You know? So there was this whole thing going on for these guys. And so here they are with, this, with this, this fear, this anticipation, and they began to push in and take hold of it. 120 of them crying out to God for 10 days, having no idea what was coming. But they contended, believing that something great was coming. See, I don't know what's coming here, but I know it's great. Why? Because I know I serve a great God. I know that there's going to be breakthrough. Why? Because he's the God of breakthrough. I know he's the God of provision, so I know we're going to have provision. I know lives are going to be changed because that's the business he's in. But I couldn't give you a, a detailed plan. But I'm able to rest in the goodness of the Father and know that he's going to bring change. And so here they are waiting and contending and believing and pushing in. And then God shows up. And boy, does he show up. I mean, as I said, you know, these guys had no paradigm to hang this on. I mean, you know, flames on top of your head. That's not a regular Tuesday morning event, <laughs> just in case you were wondering, Okay. There are no chapter and verses to define what was happening. You see, it's interesting because when Peter gets up and preaches and says, this is what God, Joel prophesied. Now, Joel's a prophet in the Old Testament. And Peter gets up and says, this is that. What ha is happening here is what's prophesied in Joel 2. Well, I don't know if you've ever read Joel 2, but there's no mention of flames. <laughs> and there's no mention of drunkenness. There's no mention of, of speaking in other tongues. It says that your old men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. It doesn't really sound like a whole bunch of flames coming out of heaven and a lot of crazy people, right? And yet in God's economy, this was that. I mean, tongues of fire and wind and all that's going on. And, and it was just crazy. You see, we've got to understand just in saying that the prophecy is not holding God to a chart that we check it all off. God's God. And so what he does, he does because he can. And sometimes we miss what God is doing because we've decided what the prophetic word is or we've decided how he's act. And one of the saddest things I read, and in, in, in I love revival histories and I, I you know, study them quite extensively, the number of times, even now, in what God's doing in our movement, you read people from the movement previous and they had their criteria because this is how God visited them. So what's happening now can't be God because it's different to what happened to them. 
and actually read where people will say, this, is, this cannot be God, because if it was truly God, then it would have happened to us first. I think that's so sad. But so often we, we, we catalog and characterize or what God's going to do, and we live in that place, and we miss out. Prophecy is a revelation of God's character. It's about his goodness. And that's why so many people missed miss what Jesus was all about and miss so much of what's happening in the New Testament because when the Old Testament prophets had it, they only had a paradigm of their Old Testament. So they would speak in their language for their time. But when you see it and look back into history, you see, oh, okay, that is fulfilling it. But it's not fulfilling it word for word. Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Because so often we miss out. We miss out what's happening. It's, it's really a type, if you like. It's so important that we understand that. So God comes and, and ministers and breaks in because prophecy is a declaration of, of what God is like and he brings us in. But you, and so this, this prayer meeting breaks out onto the streets and well, we know the rest of it, so to speak, literally is history because we stand here today because of the faithfulness of those 120. Because those ones were prepared to wait, to believe God, to have hunger and put that hunger into effect. Because you see, so often I hear people and the people come to me, and I've got to be frank with this, people come to me and they say, I am so hungry for God. Well, what are you doing with that? Well, I'd really like to pray, you know, I really, but look, my life's just so full. There's, there's Shortland Street and then there's this and then there's that and, and, and I've got this and, and you know, I just, you know, you just don't believe how busy I am. Yeah, well, I probably do believe how busy you are, but, you know, the reality is that, that if you want, <laughs> look, at the end of the day, if you want breakthrough, you've got to go after it. And I'm not trying to bully you, I'm not trying to do it, but that's just the reality. Paul Cain said something once that has marked my life. He said, I have, he said, you have as much of God as you want. And I thought, oh, Jesus, how much of God do I have? Because you see, you can say anything you like, but until you determine in your heart and be intentional. You know, you, you see, you know, you can say, I, I, whatever it is, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a book a week. Or oh, where are your books? Oh, I haven't got them yet. You know, it's sort of like, well, how are you going to do a book a week or, or something like that? You, know, the, you, you can't just speak it. You've got to be intentional. There has to be action to your words. That's just life, folks. That, and the spiritual life is exactly the same. And if you want to see breakthrough in any area of your life, it begins of coming before God and being intentional and having a determination that you're going to go after it. Now, that's not kind of like God's waiting to see how, how, you know, how much you're going to work because it's not about work. But as you come to that place of just encounter with him, things begin to change. Things begin to change. And you see God moving. Matthew eleven twelve says, The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. See, the kingdom of heaven has to be aggressively pursued. Now, that's not about salvation. Your status with God is a free gift. Okay, God has blessed that with you. And he will bless you. Look, I have known God's blessing all my life. 
just because he's so good. And quite honestly, and you may find this hard to believe, there have been times when I was a real rat bag. Yeah, I know, it's hard to believe, but it did. I was a stinker, <laughs> to put it mildly. You don't need to laugh and agree so much over there. But it was but God's blessing. So that we all live with a level of, of, of blessing and favor. But he wants to give us more because we're his children. But we activate that by actually pushing into him. The kingdom of God is taken by force. It needs to be aggressively pursued. It needs to be progressively, aggressively pursued. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having a seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Now listen to this. Therefore, if anyone cleans himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. God wants to use us. He wants every single one of us to be the golden um, vessels of gold and silver that he can use. He wants us to be in that place. God is offering us everything of the kingdom. The question is, are we willing to pursue it? God wants us to have it, but do we want to make it ours? And sometimes, you know, the question's asked to me, well, hang on, look. God knows everything. He knows what we need. And if it's ours, why doesn't he just give it to us? Why doesn't he just give it? Why, does, why do we have to go and pray? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow him. Let me read it again. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. See, in other words, God has things that he's hidden, not from us, but for us. And we have this invitation to go into the heart of God. He's hidden things, not so we don't get it, but so we push into him, so we build relationship with him, so we take hold of what is, is in the heart of God. And once it's given to us, and this is a great, it's not only ours, but it's our children's. So whatever you have in the kingdom, whatever you have now, you should be praying and declaring over your children, especially in the things of the spirit. Don't make your kids have to dig their own wells. You have, you know, too many of us, as parents, frankly, are, are almost embarrassed to talk about spiritual things with our children. It kind of, you know, teaching our children how to pray or talking about, sometimes it just feels a little bit, so we don't. And that's, to me, it's the biggest disservice you can do for, parent, for your children. You'll teach them how to, well, I hope you do, teach them how to look after money, how to do relationships, all those sorts of things. Do you teach them about the things of God? Deliberately and intentionally train your children in the things of God, that they're aware of it. Because there's an incredible, right now, all the favor and blessing that you're enjoying is already in your kid's bank account. 
You have to just learn to teach, or you have to learn, teach them how for them to draw that out into their own lives. And so often we don't. But it says here, it belongs to us and our children forever. What a great promise, huh? Acts chapter 4 says, now the Lord God, oh, sorry, oh yeah, okay, I'll give you a bit of background of this. Acts 4, they've been preaching the gospel, so okay, let's go back. Acts 1, Jesus goes, they're terrified. Acts 2, Holy Spirit arrives, they're full of um, power and go out and just make completely and utterly mess up Jerusalem, start preaching, seeing people here, the whole thing. The city's in a revival. Now, thousands saved, 3,000 saved in a day, which is incredible, eh? Amazing. You know, more than 3,000 get saved every day right now uh, in the world. Forget the actual statistic, but it's in multiple thousands are getting saved in the world every single day as the gospel is being preached. Anyhow, it's another issue. So they're preaching, and so they stay. So that, again, the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders get pretty angry about this because they see their power base diminishing. Remember, the whole, whole system is on control and management. And suddenly these guys turn up and say, Be free. The Lord's given you freedom. And, they, and so they end up getting jailed and they get, ended up getting persecuted. And uh, so it goes on. It says this, they're praying. So they come before the Lord. They've been persecuted. They've been beaten. They've been put in prison. They've been, they're coming before the Lord. How would you pray if that was happening to you? Lord, look on their threats. Okay, so you say, Lord, look at what they're doing to us. And then they say this, grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word even more. And by stretching out your hand, heal that the signs and wonders may be done through your name, the, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So instead of saying, Lord, take away it all and, and Lord, protect us, they say, Lord, give us more power so we can even be more of a nuisance. That's basically it. Give us more because we want to go out there and even take on more. How about that for a prayer? How many of us do that when we're getting, getting hard time? Lord, give me more power so I can even make, get into more trouble. But this is what they prayed. And how did the Lord respond to it? And when they prayed this, the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the, Lord, the word of God with boldness. Man, I love the way these guys pray. They See, they understood the mandate they'd been given. God was restoring minds and bodies and hearts. That's what Jesus does. And they were crying out and they were saying, God, we want to go more. Open the floodgates of heaven. We want more of your power because we want to do more because we want Jesus to get the, the reward that he died for. And hey, it might cost us our lives. And they didn't pray this lightly. It might cost us our lives, but we're going to see the power of Jesus. I was sharing with someone yesterday because we are just talking about different things around the world and I've talked about this before. In, in Lucerne, in, in Switzerland, there's a beautiful bridge. It's glorious. It's a beautiful, beautiful bridge. Flowering. You walk in the middle of it and there's this plaque. It's called the Chapel Bridge and it says, this, this bridge is de- dedicated to Marcellus. Marcellus who, who um, occupied and created Switzerland. He, him and then his Praetorian guard would not bow their knee to the emperor and they were martyred. So this, this guy who had never heard of Marcellus had gone in and for the Roman Empire had taken that whole area of Switzerland. 
but then him and his guard encountered Jesus. And not one of them would recant their faith in Jesus Christ. And every single one of them were martyred. You know, it makes me kind of wonder if maybe that's why Switzerland's so successful, because it was formed on the blood of martyrs, the favor of God. But you see, they were not prepared to step back. They'd encountered the goodness of God and they were not prepared to take a step back because they knew what they were called to do. There was nothing else worth it. The kingdom of God, Jesus, he was the price of the ages and, and the violent go after him. You see, we, we, I don't know about you, but, but I'm not satisfied with where I am. And I want to keep going after Jesus right the way through to my dying breath. My dying, I pray my dying breath is more Jesus. You know, I want to spend everything I have in my life, every bit of my energy, any bit of, to see Jesus get his glory, to go after the things of the kingdom. I want to finish well. That's why I'm so passionate about liberty because I don't want to just finish and think, well, I've done my bit, I'm out of here. I want to, I want to know that in, in 5, 10, 15, 20 years after I've gone from here, the power of God is even bigger and more and that those who have been raised up after me are greater because of what I've laid down. I'm not really interested in what I'm laying down. I want to, what I am, I want to know that I've done better for others, that they can have greater things. And that's what I want to go after. You know, we want to be a place of blessing. We want to be a place of salvation. We want to be a place of healing. We want all these things. And it all starts with prayer. It all starts with prayer. It's that powerful for us. You know, prayer enforces the promises of God. Do you know that? You see, again, it's not just, and I guess this is where the new kingdom paradigm comes in, that, that in the old days, you know, we kind of, it was those prayers, weren't they? I mean, Lord Jesus, we pray for, for Bill. And Lord, we, 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 we're, we thank you for your joy <sighs> and the pleasure of praying. And Lord, we just come and, 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 and Lord, if it's your will and and, and uh, we want to just lift, lift, lift Bill up to you now. And Lord, we just, yeah, want to see something really great. And so if it's your kind of maybe, and, and we sort of hope that, well, you, you might be hearing us. And so God, can you please touch Bill? Amen. It's your turn. Come on, pray. Um, you know what I mean? Like that, isn't it? I can remember when I was younger, you know, you started out, and I, I, was, I became a Christian in the days where you used to pray in circles and hold hands, you know. Yes, I know. Oh, God. And, he, and, it, and it was particularly bad. I can remember this one time I'm praying, and the leader grabbed my hand to, I think, make me behave, and, and, he, and he prayed. And, you know, they pray, and then it goes to the next person, the next person, and so you get there and you close your eyes and you think, right. And so it becomes this war between you and the guy on the other side. Who's going to not pray for the longest, you know? And, you know? and finally the other guy says, dear Jesus. And you go, yes, I beat him. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, you've got the whole, whole circle to pray for something. And so they all pray and you go, yes, Lord, I just believe that. Amen. <sighs> you know, that's the way I used to pray. You know, it was kind of like it was, a, it was, the, it was an arm wrestle in the spirit. <laughs> and... Um, 
But today, we can pray so differently because we have the confidence of a risen Jesus. And we've been taught that we pray not for answers, but from a place of victory, that he is seated in heavenly places and that we see, are seated with him. And so when we pray, we pray with faith and belief and joy, and we know that God hears our prayers because I'm one of his favorites. And I know that God's going to move. And so we position ourselves for that kind of miracle. And so it transforms the whole thing of what we're doing. It's, it's, it's just a, a revolutionary process. And so when we come together, when we come together, we can come with intentionality and focus to pray and believe Him and see great things changed. And I think, you know, right now, it's one of the areas that God's calling us to, to. You know, we've been talking about the whole vision 2024. And part of that, I really believe, is that we, we need to begin to pray into it even more. Now, I know we've been praying, and I know others have been praying. And we had a prayer meeting on Thursday night, man, and it was just wild. It was just rocking. It was just unreal. The presence of God was there. People came together. We had prophetic word. We had, yeah, it was just so, I tell you what, you know, I go away energized from those. I go away so encouraged. Man, I think, yeah, give me a demon. <laughs> I'll get him, you know? It's sort of like that because I'm, 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 because, not because of me, but because of all those that were stood with me. And I'm there and I'm praying and I look and I open my eyes and I see Olga and I see Ian and I see Tui and, and, and all these ones just there, just praying. Just, you know, the glory of God's upon them and they're believing. And as I look at them and as I pray with them, my energy, my faith levels go way up. It's like, you know, their faith injects into me and it takes it to another level. And so what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to begin to pray more as a church. And so what we're going to do, and why I wanted to talk about this today, is that at the end of this month, on this, in August, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're going to actually have four nights of prayer here. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do it for an hour. That's what we'll set, but it could go longer. But, you know, I, just, I always like to set a time so people know that they're not kind of coming into the endless infinities of God, <laughs> you know, so you can go when you want to, but we want to, we want to just, we want to just push in, and we want to take hold of some things in God, and so I want to do different things over that week, there'll be different types of prayer, we'll pray for different things, but I want to invite each one of you to begin this prayer journey. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about some other things in prayer, I'm going to talk, you know, and hopefully, help. I might even talk about, we ready? Fasting. Uh, yeah, I know. We've got some really exciting things. We've got, we've got some really exciting ways that fasting can be done. If you don't know what fasting is, come. <laughs> Actually, the fasting was one of the first things I ever read when I got saved. Because I got saved, you know, my story on the, on the floor of a bus coming back from a snow trip. And I grabbed someone's New Testament and opened it up, and it begins with the, the lists in Matthew. And that was kind of, wow, you know, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, and so-and-so, and I'm thinking, oh, that didn't sound very nice, begetting someone. But anyhow, that was okay. Then I turned over the next page, and it said, Jesus fasted. So I'm, uh, by then, I'm sitting in a seat, and I said to this girl sitting next to me, Joanne, I said, what is fasting? Because she was a Christian. I said, what does fasting mean? She says, I don't know. And I imagine it was Jesus walking really, really fast around the room. 
So I didn't know what fasting was. Okay, he must have been really busy. I don't know. And then when somebody told me, I thought, man, I like my definition way better than theirs. <laughs> but anyhow, that's another story. But there is joy in fasting. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about some other things. Again, none of it's compulsory, but I just want to really open this door up to you guys. You know, there's, a, there's exciting stuff in the kingdom that we've missed out, I think, on. And I just want to open that up for you. Does that sound good? Cool. Hey, why don't we just sing, finish with a worship song? Shall we? We shall.